Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. In our last session, we had our summary of Galatians, so we're ready to move on to Ephesians now. Before we start uh, in Ephesians 1, I want to remind you that I am reading from the Amplified Bible, but I also want to relay to you just what little bit of information I know about Ephesus, which is the city that we're talking about. It is a port city again, and it's on the western coast of Turkey, what we would call Turkey nowadays. They called it Asia Minor, and maybe people still call it that now, but for me, I can't do that. <laughs> if you say Asia, I'm thinking of like China, Siam, Japan, Kamchatka, Vietnam. I'm thinking of all those other eastern, more, much more eastern places. Um, Turkey, I, I think of as Turkey, honestly, and uh, those that area there. I just think of that as you know, when you get past Greece, and I think of Turkey, which is to the east and the south of Greece, basically, and uh, you know, um, maybe mainly east, but a little bit to the south too. And uh, look at it on the globe, you'll, I think, you'll see what I mean. Um, and of course, some people are much better with geography than I am, and I would just ask for you to uh, forgive me. <laughs> That's the best I can do, is you go east of Greece and maybe just a tad to the south, and there's Turkey. Anyway, on the western shore of, of Turkey is where Ephesus is. It was a port city, and I don't know if Paul was just using these port cities to get around, and uh, if that was just super convenient or if that made the most sense but it sounds like God's plan was to get things started you know uh, on the on the coast <laughs> and then move inland from there which is fine that seemed to have worked God always knows what he's doing so hey so anyway so Ephesus um, again they called it Asia Minor back then or at least in the text you may see it mentioned as Asia Minor or something like that and um, uh, Port Town basically on the west coast of Turkey, kind of east and maybe south a little bit from Greece. That's that's probably the best <clears throat> description I'm going to be able to give. Now, Paul wrote this mainly as an encouragement to the Ephesians, to their congregation, um, to walk in unity and love and follow follow Christ. I mean, it was this is all an encouragement and instructions on how to do that and how to stand firm in the face of persecution and, um, aver is it avert? No, not aversion. Adversity. Adversity. I'm so sorry. My, my words are not coming to me correctly, but adversity. So that's, you're going to see that is largely a big part of the theme in this small epistle. And it is a small epistle, but uh, nonetheless, I still plan to probably do um, uh, some sort of little summary at the end, even though in a way I may have just summarized it, but not, not as good as we need to. Okay. All right. So this is Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, a special messenger chose. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Let me try again. I'm sorry. Paul, an apostle, special messenger, personally chosen representative of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, by the will of God, that is, by his purpose and choice, to the saints, God's people, who are at Ephesus and are faithful and loyal and steadfast in Christ Jesus. Now that is a long intro, but here he's just trying to talk to the, um, the, uh, the congregation, 
and he's just letting them know. I mean, this is a letter to them. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that um, this letter, uh, according to one note I re read at least, you know, I was researching a little bit, um, maybe maybe not as much as maybe we should, but I did research a little bit, and um, the note I read uh, also said that uh, Paul wrote this uh, from prison, or from maybe being under arrest. I'm not sure if he would have been in a true, you know, hardcore prison and been able to write a letter out, not in those days. But <clears throat> the letter is written to the Ephesians, and there is a note here that that uh, the original, some of the early manuscripts don't necessarily say to Ephesus, to the people at Ephesus, but this was a letter to that congregation and delivered to them. So that has been added for us for clarity, and that, that kind of makes sense. So, <clears throat> all right, so that's just the first two verses, and, I mean the first verse, and I've probably already, you know, gone off. But let's go back, verse 2. Grace to you and peace, inner calm and spiritual well-being from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did I mention, I meant to tell you that the, the writer of this is Paul, okay? So I want to make sure I mention that if I didn't. Uh, going to continue on now with uh, verse 3. Since he gave them, you know, this blessing. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, just as in his love he chose us in Christ, actually selected us for himself as his own before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy, that is, consecrated, set apart for him, purpose-driven, and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Christ Jesus in accordance with the kind intention and good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace and favor which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved his son Jesus Christ. So I'm going to stop there for just a moment. There's a lot here where he mentions predestination and such. This does not mean that we just have a destiny and we are just destined and we can't get out of it and it doesn't matter what we do because our destiny is going to be what it is. That's not what's intended. What is intended is um, God determined when he before he even created man, but, but especially when he created man, because this says before the foundation of the world, so that would be before he even created man, but he had determined to create us all for him. We are all supposed to be his. Intentionally, always, we were always supposed to be his children, all of us. So when he's talking about he predestined and selected us, we are all selected. We are all supposed to be his children, we just have to choose that. God isn't going to force us to be his child and to act like his child. But he wants us to, to want that and to be that. So he predestined. In, in other words, he planned ahead. He, he prepared and wanted all of us, every, every person, every human, every man, every woman, every child that he, because he, he created us all by creating the initial ones, you know, he created us all. So, he, when it says he predestined us, it just means that he 
created us with the idea that we would be his, that we would follow him, that we would be his children. That was the intention, that was the purpose. So, I just wanted to make sure that was clear, so you didn't think that like, oh, well, I'm either destined to be that or I'm not, and if I am, then he's chosen me and I'm destined, and it doesn't matter what I do, or if I'm not, it doesn't matter what I do. Some people believe that way, and, and that's not what the scriptures are trying to say. That's not what is being said here. It's just that he had lovingly planned, always planned for us to be his children, the same as when you and your uh, wife or husband, you, you and your spouse, decide to have a child. Well, you're planning on having that child and raising that child, and you're planning on it being your child. Now, I'm talking about when you plan. Uh, we're not talking about when you don't plan. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> That's a whole other subject. But when you plan, and you're, you're married, and, and you and your spouse say, look, we want to have a child, and we're planning to have a child, you make preparations. You create a little, a little room, a little place for the baby to be. You know, you maybe you have its own little room and you paint it up the little baby room and you could do the crib and all that preparation. God has made all that preparation. And in heaven, he has all that preparation. There is room for everyone if everyone would just choose that. And I've probably, once again, gone off on a tangent, but I just want to make sure we're clear on what Paul is talking about when he says we were all predestined. It was all planned ahead of time that we would all be God's children. So, going to move on with verse 7. He had just talked, actually I'll, I'll repeat uh, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace and favor which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved, his son, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7, in him we have redemption, that is, our deliverance and salvation, through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin, in accordance with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Did I say that right? That was the end of the sentence, but it sounded like I didn't end that correctly. So let's go back. In him we have redemption. Now, that's in Jesus that is our deliverance and salvation through his blood which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. I'm talking about God's grace which he lavished on us. So we get a complete and total utter, utter forgiveness and pardon from God according to the riches of his grace. His grace is, is tremendous. It's beyond human understanding and thinking. So that's why Paul can freely say a complete pardon, utter, total pardon of our sin, because God's grace is beyond what we could think of. Just the, the riches of his grace, the, the amount of his grace would just be tremendous, far more than ours. All right. <clears throat> in all wisdom and understanding, with practical insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, and this is God revealing to us, with regard to the fulfillment of the times, that is the end of history, the climax of the, ch of the ages, to bring all things together in Christ, both things in the heavens and things on earth. 
So, this is in regard to the fulfillment of the times, that is the end of the ages, to bring all things together in Christ. Everything, you know, everything is under Christ, but too, we are, as God's children, we are in Christ. We are saved. Our salvation comes through Christ at the end of the age, at the end of the ages, at the very end of everything, we're going to come to heaven through Christ. And um, so, but he's talking about God revealing all of this about Christ and, and, and how we are saved through Christ and how that's going to take us through even in the end times. Um, so let's, let me move on though. He's going to, he's going to talk more. Of course, Paul's going to explain it better than me. Uh, verse 11, In him also we have received an inheritance, a destiny. We were claimed by God as his own, having been predestined, chosen, appointed beforehand, according to the purpose of him who works everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, who first put our confidence in him as our Lord and Savior, would exist to the praise of his glory. So this is kind of another one of those long sentences that, that Paul and his um or his his uh what do you call it his scribe likes to do. It's kind of a long a long sentence. Um but in him, in Jesus, we have received an inheritance, a destiny. We were claimed by God as his own, yes. Through Jesus, when we come to the Lord, when we accept Jesus and we become a child of God, we are accepting a certain destiny and we are being claimed as God's own. And that destiny, one, here on earth, is to, is to serve God in whatever capacity that, that we can. And then, two, that ultimate destiny of going to heaven to be with God and, and to, to be his child, um, even then. And, you know, we were claimed by God as his own. We were, again, predestined, chosen, because everyone was intended to be God's child. That was the whole purpose. And that's why he loves us all, and he wants us to treat each other well, and why um, we should treat everyone well, because you never know when that person is going to... Maybe they're not a child of God right now, but you don't know what's going to happen in the next day. They could turn on a dime and God could, you know, be working on them now, even even as we don't know it with you know, as we talk to them or see them. So, um anyway, so that again, I may be getting a little bit off topic and I'm sorry about that, but we're talking about we're going back to that predestined thing. Anyway, um so according to the purpose of him who works everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will, well, you know, this is God we're talking about, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, who first put our confidence in him as our Lord and Savior, would exist to the praise of his glory. Now these are the first to believe, okay, and they are the ones that really got things going for all of us. They got the gospel started, the, the ball rolling, so to speak. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God 
The Spirit is the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchase possession, his believers, to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit is like the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit that we receive uh, as children of God. It is like the first bit, the first little part of what's to come, you know, when we're uh, redeemed and when we're finally, ultimately, redeemed to heaven in the end. So, because that's when God's own possession, his believers, you know, are going to be, are going to be fully, totally, completely redeemed from this life and from everything else to, to heaven, to be with him. So, um, you can think of the, the Holy Spirit as just that first, uh, that first thing to help us. It helps guide us uh, through the Word of God and helped, helps us to, uh, to learn and, uh, and to, you know, follow Jesus more properly. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him, for we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope the divine guarantee, the uh, confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. Again, another another long sentence which really is not not the best for me sometimes but he's talking about he prays that their eyes would be open that the core of their very being that they would know they would truly know God and that they would be the holy light would uh, the holy spirit would enlighten them on everything now and he talks about so that you will know and cherish the hope to which he has called you the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation. Hope as used uh, most often by the New Testament writers when we're talking about the hope of Christ, the hope of salvation. That hope is not like, well, you know, like me, I get up in the morning and maybe I'm going to go outside. I'm like, well, I hope it's not raining. Well, that's not a very serious hope. It's not really something I have a strong expectation about. Matter of fact, most times I probably don't even care that much. I really just don't want to get wet, but it's not that big a deal. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm just giving you that as an example. Sometimes we have hopes, but our hopes aren't really very serious, aren't very expectant. We're not really expecting something. We kind of throw the word hope around in the wrong way. Okay, because when we're talking about faith and hope in in the biblical sense, we're talking about hope as in we have a serious expectation of receiving that. We, you know, we have that faith 
And so we have that hope. And without our faith, without believing that we're really going to get it, then we don't really have hope. We would just have a, a kind of almost like a wish. That's kind of how we use hope. Like it's just, oh, I just wish that would happen. You know, I, I hope I get a million dollars today for absolutely no reason. You know, silly stuff like that. I mean, you know, that's kind of like a wish, not really a hope. A hope is really where um, you really have a hope that something will happen. You have a um, an expectant um, attitude towards it. You expect it to, to happen, to show up. You have a reason to expect it. So, um, so it's a little different when we're talking about faith and hope in the Bible. Uh, we really probably shouldn't throw hope around so much in our everyday lives. I think that kind of confuses us sometimes when we come to read the Bible and uh, and we see the word hope. So, so our hope in the you know our hope in the divine guarantee, the confident expectation, our hope in God and in Christ and in salvation. That's a very real expectant powerful hope we are really expecting that okay so our hope is not like just some sort of whimsical thing so that's all i'm trying to get at is to make sure that we're clear on what true you know when when you have faith and you believe something your hope is really an expectant expectant hope you're really expecting it you really believe it's going to you know come about that's what faith is about that's how faith and hope kind of go together all right, so I went on, and that was a long sentence, and then I went on for a long time. So we'll pick up from here. So um, the problem is that was such a long sentence, I have lost the end of the sentence. And the sentences aren't always ending like on a verse like you would expect. Sometimes they're ending in the middle of a verse, which... As I have said before, we we really need to rethink about the way some of these chapters and verses are broken up. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But anyway, these are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he, being God, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic or human, and far above every name that is named, above every title that could be conferred, not only in this age and world, but also in the one to come. So here, he's talking about, you know, the working of his mighty strength, God, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Because he did, he raised him from the head, he seated him at his own right hand. He put it, well... Actually, Paul's going to get into this. Okay, hold on. Um, <clears throat> and he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills and completes all things in all believers. So God put everything under Christ's rule under Christ's authority. So, um, and appointed him as head over all things in the church, which is 
the body of Christ, which is us. That's why our church is the church of Christ. I mean, you could say, you could say the church of Jesus, the church of Christ, the, you know, but, but nonetheless, our church is that. There is no, there really is no other church, regardless of what man may think and man may create. There really is no other church. There's only the church that belongs to Jesus. There's only the believers that belong to Jesus in the body of Christ. But here, uh, Paul has really talked about how we are predestined to be the children of God and how God in his power has uh, raised Jesus up and given him all authority um, over us, the church, and over everything. Um, and he has also prayed for their enlightenment, that they would you know, understand and know these things. But, and that is chapter 1 of Ephesians. And I hope I have not been too crazy about it, but uh, I know I probably had some tangents there, but on the other hand, um, it's, it's a good important star, a good introduction to uh, Paul's letter to the uh, congregation at Ephesus um, because he is letting them know, or maybe he's reminding them, I'm not sure where they are in their walk with the Lord, so maybe he's reminding them, but nonetheless, he's, you know, he's telling them that they were predestined to be the children of God. We all were supposed to be the children of God. That was the whole idea. And then, you know, he tells them, well, he mentions he had heard of their faith, and he doesn't cease to give thanks for them, and he prays for them that they would know all these things and understand um, all these things. And uh, then he reminds them or tells them how Christ, you know, God in his mighty power raised Christ from the dead and sat him on the right hand of his throne and um, put everything in, into subjection under Christ and that we ourselves are under the authority of, uh, of Jesus our Savior. All right. That is chapter 1 of Ephesians. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. And um, remember, God loves you.